0: Hello, hello, and welcome to today's episode of the Dreamers Succeed podcast. This is the first release podcast for 2021. I am so excited because I've been trying to get this lady for some time and she's busy, 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 but I am honored to be sitting here with her today. You guys are, if you don't know her already, I promise you're gonna fall in love with her by the end of the show. I am gonna encourage you in advance. To follow her. But for now, let me just make a quick little introduction. Um, Deborah Workman is an LLP trainer, a life coach, a speaker, a wife, a mother, and a world traveler. She is the founder and CEO of Illuminating Lives. Nothing brings her more joy than working with high achievers to help them reconnect to themselves, their purpose, and their relationships. And in doing so, refine their ability to achieve extraordinary results. Guys, I am not even kidding when I'm telling you that she is she is it. She is a certified and qualified uh, NLP master trainer, uh, evolved leadership coach, and a Theta healing practitioner. And because I know and have grown to love this lady, I could go on and on, but I don't want to do that for the whole show. So welcome Deb. Yay. Thank you, Vera. Thank you. Now folks, Deb is coming to us all the way from New Zealand. So Deb, I am so grateful. I know your life is busy and you've got so much going on. So, so I just want to say again that I, I am beyond grateful that you're coming and sharing with us today because I know what a blessing you're going to be to our audience. So thank you. Thank you, Duda, hey,
1: thank you for how's, having me.
0: Good, how is uh, 2021? What does your first month look like so far?
1: Oh, my gosh. 2021 January has been epic. It, I feel it is the year of transformation for many. Last year was a year of pivoting. This year is a year of transformation for sure. I love
0: that. Good, good. And, and I just, I, I feel like there's this energy still with a lot of people that I've spoken to about feeling really, really good about this year that we're in. And I don't know if it's because there's a comparison to everything that we went through last year, but I, I just think that people are, they're on a whole different level. Do you sense that with people you're speaking to?
1: Agree. I agree. I think people are hungry for it. Yeah. You know, and last year was really unusual. No one could have predicted it. Right. Mm-hmm. And this year they that wanting change, they're wanting to do something different. They're looking more at what sets his soul on fire i believe and who the people i'm interacting with they're really wanting to change things up
0: i love it and and deb i know that you have a rare front row seat to the journey as i do of these amazing transformations and these breakthroughs can you share a little bit about because i'm always curious what made you get into coaching
1: great question <laughs> What made me get into coaching? Oh, that's, that's quite a deep question because I don't think there was ever a time where I could flick a switch and go, that's it, I want to be a coach. I think it was coaching was coaching kind of found me mm. and I had, to, I had to kind of nestle in and get used to the idea that I could possibly help people in the form of being a coach. And I do think from having a coach myself, it inspired me more to follow that path where someone shined the light on me and helped me see my own greatness. And now I have the privilege of doing it with others and and helping them get to where it is they want to be in life.
0: Mm, I love that. And I know that you not only took your coaching very seriously and and you wanted to become certified and, and, and really speak from a place of standing for your clients, but you are also an NLP certified practitioner and master trainer. Can you share a little bit? I think we, we hear those initials a lot, but a lot of people don't really understand what NLP is. How would you mm-hmm. define it?
1: I'll give you my explanation of NLP. It's very much layman terms and um, anyone can Google what NLP is. In the short version, it's neuro-linguistic programming. And what that means to me is I help people have the thoughts and feelings that they want to have in life and ditch the ones they don't the ones that don't serve their highest health and good, the thoughts that keep them small, the thoughts that keep them stuck, the thoughts that keep them in a place of uh, severe negativity and self-criticalness, the thoughts that don't, ins- don't inspire anyone, put it that way. So we, we all have a little voice in our head, some louder than others. And I know from my own personal experience, I had no clue my little voice in my head was responsible for what was showing up or not showing up in my life so now I acknowledge that voice and NLP helped me do that because I became aware of a lot of unconscious programming I was running we have this is where I get really excited talking about NLP we have this amazing mind upstairs and I know as a human being we think we're aware of what's going on up there when the truth is we're only aware of around 5% of our mind and what's what's motivating us in life and what we want to achieve. 95% of our mind is our unconscious or also known as our subconscious mind that is very dormant. It's pretty sleepy up there and it's still dictating what we do in life. We're just not aware of it consciously And this is the programming uh, piece of NLP. This is a programming piece of NLP, where we have programs for everything we do in life. We have a strategy for everything we do in life. And what I mean by that, my strategy to love is different to yours, Berta. On the flip of that, my strategy to not like or even hate is different to yours. My strategy of um, being motivated versus procrastination is different. So when I was able to unpack and see what was not working for me and interrupt that pattern, interrupt that process that was unconsciously within within me, I was able to make changes in my life and start focusing more of what I want rather than running away from everything I don't want in life.
0: Mm, Wow, that's huge. I, 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 I know my husband probably will not listen to anything. But if he hears when he hears this, he'll say, "Yeah, she really does. Her her love thing is very different than than anyone else." <laughs> I'm pretty sure because he's just mean that way. But Deb, let me ask <laughs> a question because what you what you said was so interesting. What what age? Were, because I'm I'm thinking as you're talking about that programming and all those layers, and I'm just thinking of of how far back you mm-hmm. sometimes have to go with, you know, maybe finding. if if that's what you do, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, of finding where that, that programming was, was set, you know, what, what they got in there, how far back or how much attention should we be paying maybe to our little ones in, in maybe, I don't want to say not controlling, but planting certain seeds in them.
1: Great question, but a great question. Through the hundreds of clients I've coached, both men, women, and some uh, young children, by the way, coaching um, with NLP tools that I use predominantly is from the age of three upwards. So I believe there's no child too young that won't benefit from being taught how to think differently, how to think more towards what will benefit them in life. So to answer your question, typically the age where most of these beliefs this programming is formed and created is between the age of zero and seven. And Morris Massey wrote this book called the people puzzle where he highlights this and he labels this as the imprint period. And the imprint period is where we walk around basically as little, little beings little human beings out there. And we're recording everything. And I mean, everything we see, everything we hear, everything we feel, everything we taste, Everything we smell, our five senses plus our self-talk is open. It's basically the mind. Our mind has got a a trap door and it's wide open. And everything we take on, we digest ourselves and we give meaning to. So siblings could have very different programming and belief as each other's because one sibling might mean a, a dad saying this means that I'm not good enough. And then the same dad saying it to a sibling means the sibling just decided not to take that belief on. Mm -hmm. So it's very unique in what the child takes on as a positive and a negative belief of their own and what they make it mean about themselves and how they carry it with them from childhood all the way to adulthood. In the book I just quoted earlier, People Puzzle, Morris Massey, Massey quotes this saying, and it really hit home with me when I was learning all about how our mind is so powerful and connected to our body and what we create in life. And what he quoted is, who we who we were when we were... now i say that again, sorry. Who we were when we were young is who we are today. And I'll say that again. Who we are when we were young is is who we, who we were when we were young, is who we are today. Wow. And I would like to go one step further than that and say, unless of course you learn NLP or you are coached by an NLP practitioner and you can rewire some of those unconscious beliefs and programmings that you have running in your day-to-day life. That's- some of the CEOs I work with at the moment, when we really dig a bit deeper on what, what they believe their problem is, and by the way, If we consciously know what our problem is, that ain't it. I guarantee it. And that's a big thing to state out there. (laughs) So people come to me and they say all the time, this is the problem. And I don't want to discredit what they're saying, but typically what the problem they come to me with is the symptom of a deeper problem, a deeper cause, a different root belief that we are consciously unaware of. And I speak from experience as a client and as a coach.
0: Wow. That's, that's huge, Deb. And I, and I can totally see it because I think a lot of times, and I love the way that you put it, it is a symptom of the underlying problem, you know, and, 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 and you're in New Zealand. I don't know how it is, but here it's almost like the doctors are trained to, okay, this is what you have. Let's give you a pill and let's go. So it seems to me like, rather than the traditional modalities that people are used to where, okay, we're just going to talk this through and, um, maybe even with, with therapy or something like psychology, the NLP is going layers deep into that root. And once you take care of the root issue, everything else seems to go away. It's like the difference between Western medicine and, and the Eastern acupuncturist and other modalities that, that really are looking at just the alignment of the body. That is mm-hmm. so interesting.
1: Yeah, I find it um, very interesting and you're right, it is a deeper structure and I'll give you an example just in case people are like, give me more on that, Deb. Mm. So I I have um, several clients, I'll just choose one who came to me and her problem that she was aware of was she overate Mm. and because of that, she was at a certain weight in her body and she didn't like the size and shape she was at. So she came to me, she said, my problem is overeating. The overeating Was a problem for her, absolutely. However, it was a symptom of something underneath that was causing her to overeat. And through the series of transformative coaching sessions that we did together uh, within, I think, two months, we were able to establish, and that was meeting fortnightly too, we were able to establish that her root belief about herself was that she was unloved. So as a child, she gathered evidence along the way And made meaning to a couple of things that happened to to her as a young child that she believed from that experience that she is unloved. She's an unlovable person. And so food for her became her comfort because she felt unloved and she told herself that so many times over and over again food was her comfort blanket and that's what caused her to overeat so we didn't focus on sending her to a gym um, getting her to eat only protein we didn't focus on her downloading apps and doing short minute workouts and all of that because that's treating the symptom of the problem where we focused and where we did the work together was unraveling that belief And reassuring her mind that that was not the truth. And this is the evidence of that's not being the truth. And her new belief that was more empowering, more supportive and more motivating towards what it is she wanted in life. Mm -hmm. And the weight dropped off by osmosis once she corrected the belief. Yes, she walked. Mm -hmm. Yes, she looked in the mirror and she started acknowledging what was right with her rather than looking in the mirror and focusing on the flaws. Mm -hmm. However, pulling that belief allowed something else to blossom. Like the weeds didn't continue to grow because we got to the source of the weeds in the garden. Mm. Wow. And she had no clue that a belief was sort of driving her bus to overeat. Mm. And so that was really profound to witness her transformation. Wow.
0: Thank you for sharing that example, Deb. And you know what's crazy that what you just described, even when you said you 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 used the word relief, I think you meant to say belief, but it really was relief because it's like this it, it's not my fault that I have all this weight and that I'm overeating. Now there's something I can do about it. Diets don't work. You wonder why diets don't work and exercise doesn't work and all these things that you've tried and all this money that you've spent. And then you start feeling that failure, mm. you know, in your yeah. mind. Whereas this is almost like, oh, it, this, it's mine, but I couldn't have done anything different that would have worked if I don't fix this problem. So it really is almost a relief in knowing, oh my goodness, thank you for for finding what's really
1: wrong. Totally. And and by the way, the clients, the, the people I work with, they find what it is. I I don't go and, uh, what's the word, install these beliefs on them through a series of questions and the questions that get you to think differently, that mm-hmm. we don't focus too much in NLP on why, we focus on more how, People run the problems, how people run the strategy or the programming for doing what it is they don't want to do in life. And because when we can learn how they do it, we can unlearn it and learn new strategies and new, um, new uh, tools. I've got my word, sorry.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: yeah, new yeah. strategies and just a new programming that mm-hmm. serves them.
0: That's beautiful. And, and Deb, what's interesting is, and you, you talked about, and I know that you're a master certified trainer. Uh, an NLP, how? What does that do to a coach, who's who's a coach, maybe certified or not certified? Because you don't have to be to have that layer of training, where it's almost like you're going straight to the root of the cause.
1: Wow, the coaches that I've had in my NLP trainings and some of the coaches I've taken on as clients, they're curious about changing up what they're doing because my belief is anyone can have a personal breakthrough in three months of my time. I do do longer ones for my leadership clients who are working towards um, some big goals out there, but within three months, people can create permanent change that lasts. Mm -hmm. And these coaches that are coming to me to learn NLP want to offer that to their clients. They don't want their clients dependent on them, whether um, with them for life and talking about the same thing over and over again. I believe as an NLP coach, we don't admire someone's problem, we get to the cause of it. Because we've got friends and family that come in and admire our problems for us. And we get sympathy and empathy in that regard. We don't wanna pay a coach to do the same thing because the more we admire the problem, the bigger it gets. Yes. The bigger it grows and we feel awful when you're the person talking about your problem and people agreeing with you, you don't walk away going, "Oh, wow, I feel better." You walk away going, "See, it really is a problem right. because other people are agreeing with me."
0: And, it's and
1: a- so, yeah. yeah, the 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 process within LP is basically we we the client and the coach we go back to what it is perhaps in their past, and I call that maybe past hurts or unresolved anger or sadness or resentment. Mm-hmm. The list could go on for every single person. It's very unique and very different. And we go back to those events. We don't drop clients into the memory so they re-traumatize. We keep, the, we keep I keep my clients very safe and they feel like it's in a trusted environment. And we release the emotion that may be trapped there. We release yeah. the unresolved sadness. We release the unresolved anger so that when they come forward to living back in the now moment, they can have experiences in life that don't have a built-up bucket of anger there or bag of anger so another respect like if someone was to poke the person they don't explode because we've we've actually allowed all the unresolved built-up anger to be released so when something else happens to them in life they don't nearly react to the same degree they would a month ago or two months ago
0: Mm, which affects everything in their lives
1: right It certainly does, Berta, you're so right. And then when they find those those emotions, those big ones especially, have been resolved, they get the learnings and those learnings become resources for them now. And it allows them to start creating a future that they want without fearing what happened to them in the past because they're not being pulled in two directions. Some people are, are living in the future right now because they're running away from their past hurts. They're running away from having no money as a child. They're running away from seeing abuse in, in their own parents' uh, relationship. And they're focusing so much on the future and what they want. They're missing the moment of experiencing pleasure in the now. Mm. And I'm seeing it really big with women. They're just wow. finding it really uh, uneasy to be present and have peace and purpose and, and pleasure in the now and the missing out on some miracles that are happening every day because they're too busy either in their future self or, you know, running away from their past self. And this is why I feel NLP is really profound for not only myself as a client, but myself as a coach where we allow people um, the ability to release what doesn't serve their highest health and good and experience the moment in life without constantly being triggered, without constantly um, fearing the future or feeling anxious about what's coming. They can just be with what is. And there's some power and some depth in that, where you can just be with what is and not be affected by other people's opinions, other people's judgments, or your own judgments of yourself. You can actually um, be more aware. Mm
0: -hmm. And that's
1: been key for me, the awareness.
0: Yeah. And and Deb, I love what you said. And because I have, the honor of knowing you and, and knowing a bit of your history, I'm sort of at an advantage from, from between myself and my listeners, but I know that everything that you do, you do with so much heart. You bring so much beautiful energy into the equation that it's almost like you are embracing the, that, that part of them that is longing to be healed. And, and it's almost like like you can see it i mean we've had beautiful conversations and mm-hmm. i've been blessed by everyone but it's almost like you you can you can almost see it right away and you really want it for them you really want that success and i love something two things that you mentioned uh, one was that that process of really getting them to the healing you know you're not going to mm-hmm. give a the pill that they're gonna have to be on forever um, in the way of coaching and and you and i have had this conversation mm-hmm. that there are coaches that just want to have people on the teeth, you know, forever. And it's like, no, I want to make it sustainable. I want to get you to where you need to be so that then you can sort of self-coach and, and continue the healing process and grow from that. But but another interesting thing that you mentioned, Deb, was your work in the leadership space. And I know you work with corporations and CEOs and, and high-level uh, C-suite, um, you know, professionals. Tell me a little bit about, and I would imagine that that the issues are sort of the same, but how do you, is there a difference when they come to you with that capacity?
1: <laughs> I'm I, I laugh and I smile with that question because initially um, there is this, I'll use the word belief. We're using it a lot. The belief right. out there that personal coaching and leadership coaching are very different. Mm-hmm. And there's some truth in that. However, there's also a big element in who the leader is, is the person and who the person is is the leader. We don't leave who we are when we walk into the office and and start our role as a leader. So I've had clients in the past come to me going, oh Deb, let's work on my leadership. I just don't wanna talk about my personal. And then you know I respect where they're at and what their wishes are. However, it soon comes back to who they are as a person and what may have happened to them, what is causing the problem they're having in life right now. And they, they realize that themselves. It's not by me pressuring the issue. They just come to their own awareness that who they are is who they are in all contexts of life. Unless they're this skillful person that can change up who they are and wear many masks really well, then it's different. <laughs> However, most of the time, um, it always comes back to what's going on for that person on the inside that's projecting out to what they see on the outside. And there's this sort of illusion out there. The more um, money you have, the more car, the fancier the cars you drive, the bigger house you have, all the things will create me, my own happiness. Then I'll be fulfilled. And it's a, it's a, it's a, I'll be honest, it's a vicious loop to be in because what happens is people keep chasing that, that golden carrot out there. And even when they get it, they want more. And then they want more and then they want more. And then they never feel like they're there yet in life. And my, biggest fear for people who have that running that programming running is they may get to 95 and turn back turn back and look at their life full of regrets that they never got to enjoy that time with their grandchildren or they never got to enjoy that time owning that boat because they never took it out or you know they just didn't live with what the, they had in that moment they were always chasing the next big thing and and sometimes it's something so simple as as a child they heard something that created that dynamic that was running and they just needed someone like myself or another NLP coach out there to help them reframe, to realize they are enough with who they are right now. They don't need to go anywhere or be anyone else that they are enough who they are right now. That's
0: amazing. And, and I think even in the leader, in a, in a leadership capacity in the corporate world, and we've had this conversation too, translates to, it's a matter of the relationships that they have and how they're building those relationships with their teams, with other you know, leaders within their, their organizations. But let's talk for a minute, because I know you do a lot of work with marriages and couples Mm -hmm. who are in relationships. And a lot of times they'll come to you and they'll say, you know, I'm, I'm in a loveless marriage. And sometimes that just means they're in a sexist marriage, but, Mm -hmm. but tell me how you, because it seems like, like people are attracted to you. I think you and, and, and your family life and your husband have, just, but it was intentional. And we've had that conversation about you being intentional about working on making that marriage, everything that you wanted it to be. What are people coming to you for? And if you can just give us two or three things that you're noticing and two or three things that, that maybe you're, you're telling them that they can almost do right away.
1: Yeah. Cool. So in the context of relationships, it's fascinating because quite often, the wife or the wives out there will come to me going, I want to work on my marriage. You just need to convince my husband. And then straight away I laugh because we can't force anyone to do anything right. if they don't want to do it. You know, we have to have commitment from both or I may just work with the wife because it only takes one person to save a marriage. And what I mean by that is if there's been no boundaries crossed where the husband's, you know, just being himself and, and doing his thing and she's unhappy with him and she's unhappy, then we can work on her and find out what's really going on. Cause generally if we find unhappiness in another person, there's three fingers back at yourself that you're unhappy with yourself. Yeah. In NLP, we talk about this a lot. Perception is projection and what we perceive outside of ourselves is only a reflection of what's going on in, in our own inner world. And so that always directs me to working with that person to say, okay, so you're unhappy with me. Let's, unhappy with him. Let's talk more about what's going on for you. And it happened with myself. I've told you this, Berta, that I was in a loveless marriage by my own making. My husband is um, the perfect man and those who meet him would be nodding their heads right now listening to this. However, I couldn't see the wood for the trees. I could not see that in him because I was feeling inadequate in myself. I was feeling unworthy in myself. And so I was only focusing on what, he wasn't doing well. And I was ignoring and deleting the things that he was doing well. So our marriage through a series of me doing some um, deep inner work on myself. And I'll be honest, I I discovered how complicated I was being in the process. We were able to take our marriage from pretty much survival mode, pretty much mere survival mode to extraordinary. And If people say, how do you do that? I just tell them the truth. I worked on me. I worked on what wasn't working in me and I changed it and I rewired my beliefs about myself and I let go of some really uh, nasty things I would tell myself. And I saw who I really was and I really started listening to my own inner guidance and my own intuition, which I also talk about in my coaching. Mm -hmm. And then our marriage changed by osmosis. He didn't do a thing in the process. It was all me and and when I say it was all me, I mean, I worked on me. He didn't right, need to right. work on him right. and our marriage flourished. I was able to let go of control. I was, I was definitely a, a huge control freak in the past. And I also let go of people pleasing. So that's common out there. I'm noticing it a lot more. People aren't just working out who they are now. They're not too sure who they really are because they've been trained and, and molded and shaped to be someone they're not in order to be accepted in order to be liked and all of in order to feel validated and so now we're shaking it up and going you know what let's find your authentic realness let's find out who you really are and let's show that to the world because the more of us that are out there being real and shining our light the more it inspires others the more others feel it and the more they flourish and benefit Mm -hmm. i get quite emotional talking about it because i'm seeing it and it's it's out there
0: and that's, uh, thank you for sharing that Deb and, and for, for going into your story, because I think it really, like I said, I, I know it, but I think it really paints the picture of what's possible and, and the way that you sort of took the bull by the horns and and sort of just released and, and gave up that need for control. And, you know, sometimes the question is, you'd rather be right or you'd rather be happy. And, mm-hmm. and, it, and it really just becomes, but but very, I mean, I would say a large percentage of the time We're not, we're not seeing that mirror, you know, and, and, Mm -hmm. and whether, whether we admit it or not, you know, there's a change in them as well, because they're seeing the change in us and our, and our willingness to just be vulnerable and, and, and just, just work on what's most important. And what I love is that your kids who are super high achieving kids, you know, they're seeing that you're, you're teaching them how to be a husband, how to be a wife how to work on, on their issues. And, and I love that Deb. So thanks. Thanks again for sharing. So Deb, what would you tell parents? Uh, oh, I'm that, glad you asked yeah, that. about that that that. That We
1: know um, <laughs> Children, as you know, I've got two of my own two mm-hmm. beautiful um, beings and what I've learned and I learned it a bit late in life. Like I said earlier, from zero to sevens imprint years. So this is whatever we say to our children, they're recording it. They're taking it in. They're making it their truth. When I learned NLP, my children were beyond that age. So I was like, oh, darn it. I can't reinstall everything I may have c- confused or muddied earlier. So all I could do is um, start from scratch to what age they're at now. And I've got a 13-year-old and an 11-year-old and still at quite a young, vulnerable age. Mm-hmm. And this is where they're more influenced by uh, role models out there, whether it's TV characters or superheroes or whatever it is, and their own friends. So mm-hmm. what I'm cautious of is, Whatever I say to them, I say it the way I want it. Because quite often when we're talking to children, we say, don't touch that, don't do that, don't be late. We're giving them lots of negative commands. And by the way, when we do that, our unconscious mind, the part that we're unaware of, takes on what you say after the don't because it doesn't process negatives. So when I learned that as a parent, you know, drop the don'ts because they go nowhere. I started saying what I did want my children to do. So, you know, please be home at 12. Walk carefully on that high fence. And I was saying it the way I wanted. And that changed my relationship with the children because I was clear and my instructions were short. And I was no longer saying, I'll be honest, negative and installing negative beliefs in them. Um, I, you know, sometimes hear it in a supermarket where a parent is unaware that what they say to their child is becoming that programming for the child. So just the other day, a lady in the supermarket said to her son, I can't believe you dropped that. What's wrong with you? <gasps> and as a child to another parent, that sort of sounds like what's wrong with that. But to a child, they think something's wrong with me. Something's wrong with me. Something's wrong with me. And they grow up in life going, or well, they could, they don't always, um, you know, I'm not good enough. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. My mum always told me what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? So there must be something wrong with me because my mum is my primary role model. And it gets worse, you know, sometimes a child may be called an idiot in the heat of a moment by a super angry parent or, you know, a teacher may something say something like, you know, you're not smart enough. That child grows up with that belief and then they they do everything possible to bury it so they may overcompensate and become extremely studious at the cost of not having any downtime or balance or boundaries in their life. So what we say from their age to say, I'd say zero to 21, even I'd capture wow, the 21ness right. in it right. is so important because what they hear from us as parents is so instrumental that they want to believe us because we brought them into this world. Mm. We've nurtured wow. them. We've cared for them. And for them at a young age, that's who they aspire and respect and want to be like. So just the language we use on our children is so key, so key. And I'm, I'm, I'm consciously catching myself about to say something, and I go, hang on a minute. Do I want to install something in my son that years later an NLP coach will have to uninstall? No, I don't want to do that. Yes, yes. So <laughs> I um, I encourage my, my clients and my students, um, part of the process of them wanting NLP is how to... Parent in a way that's not going to cause any, um, not even trauma. How to, I uh, want them to parent in a way that's going to create the most positive impact mm-hmm. on their children yes. so they can believe in anything as possible. Mm-hmm. You ask a five year old child out there, What do you want to be when you grow up? And they're going to say to you, I want to be a racing car driver. Yeah. I want to be a soccer player. I want to be um, an astronaut. Yeah. You ask that same child when they're 15. And they'll probably shrug their shoulders and go, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Yes, yes, Because that period of 10 years, they may have had a teacher roll their eyes and go, there's no way you're going to do that. Yeah, or they might've had a dad say, if you want to do that, that's a heap of hard work. And I don't think you're going to be capable of that. So you know what I mean? I don't want to squash our children's dreams because that's our generation. That's our, that's our future. And the more inspired they grow up to be, the more they inspire others and see that everyone can be a success in life.
0: I love that. And to
1: to <laughs> me, that's pos- that's that's the there's power right there where yeah. everything we hold in our mind can only be projected on someone else. So why not hold some positive stuff up there? Why not hold that everyone can be magnificent and great in what they do, and any other behaviour they do that's not so great, we can address that, we can manage that, but we don't need to label that person as that behaviour. Yeah. Because the labels aren't helping them.
0: No. Nope no I'm it's not coming thinking. from
1: a place of judgment and we don't need any more judgment no, in this world no.
0: there's plenty of it to go around and deb i what i love is that i think positive or negative a lot of times our our children and, and ourselves even as adults we're, we're constantly trying to to prove our parents right right and i see and that a lot yeah that that validation of well if you think i'm stupid then I must be stupid, so I'm going to live up. And I and I go back to that. And I think we've had this conversation about um, Thomas Edison and that that letter that you know they sent him home from school and they said give this letter to your mom, and and he couldn't read it and the mom reads it and she starts crying and he says what does it say? And I think he's like eleven or twelve years old, and it says it says that you are a genius and you are too smart for the teacher to teach you and that I have to teach you at home and so he grew up to be this, this genius and, and and inventor and you know what the story that we know and years later when his mom passed you know he was going through her things and he found the letter and when he read it it actually said you know your your son is disabled learning disabled and we can no longer handle him in school so you better teach him yourself and he said you know he took a learning disabled which would have been his label forever child and turned him into a genius. And it's, it's the power of the words that we have. And I think a lot of times in our haste and in our, in our worry and in our stress and in everything, we're just not aware. We're we're not Mm -hmm. aware, you know, of, of the, the power of, of the words, but I love the way that you put it, Deb. And thank you for, for sharing that, because I know that that's, that's something that you're very passionate about. oh you're
1: welcome and you're right the words are key as well as i just want to also um remind everyone yes focusing on what we say however how we say it's equally important so the tone we use when we're communicating and our our physiological actions you know like standing over a child with the tone like you can do this is not you know, received as a positive. The words you can do this sound very positive, but if your tone and your actions are negative, yeah. the child's going to pick up those more than whatever mm-hmm. you say. Yes. So words, your tone, how you portray it, how you deliver it, it's all connected and it's all um, its all important to be aware of. And, you know, initially it took a while for me to realize how I had to maybe unlearn some things i had learned in life. Mm -hmm. the more I do it though, the more consciously competent I become at it. And I'm so aware now, it's almost like I have a microphone out now and I I can hear a belief being formed by Mm -hmm. someone passing by. And I would just want to run back and go, did you know, (laughs) however, I have to respect that people are on their journey and they only know what they know.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Everybody's just operating from, from the tools that they have and And doing the best they can. Exactly. And as we evolve, there, there are more tools and there are more modalities and and more learning that we can have to, to help us become better. But it's, it's, it's what you said and what you talked about before, even with your marriage, it's having that intention and, and, and being deliberate about what you want it to look like. So again, that, that you are right on target and I love that you shared that. So I, I really appreciate that Deb. So Deb, let me ask you a question. If Mm -hmm. I looked you up in the dictionary, what would it say? No, oh, modesty, wow. no modesty, no modesty, because I know ah! you're humble, <laughs> modest, you know, you gotta you gotta play with me for a minute.
1: <laughs> Gosh, what would it say in the dictionary if you looked up Deborah Workman mm-hmm.
0: in New Zealand? Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. I believe and I I trust not I'm just gonna say it. I believe it would say she who embodies and walks her talk with a true purpose and vision to illuminate the planet one belief at a time. I feel like there's more, but I feel like I'm still evolving in who I am. So I'm going to leave that with a dot, dot, (laughs) dot. I
0: love it. I love it. I love it, Deb. And I, and I totally see it. I would read it and I would say, yes, that makes perfect sense. If, if, because I know you. So so thank you for sharing that. So Deb, I, I know that you have traveled extensively, probably more than anyone that I know. Do you have, and I'm, this is gonna be a two-sided question. Do you mm-hmm. have, a, and I know this is hard because every time people ask me, I'm like, seriously? Um, do you have a favorite place that you've visited? And do you have a dream place that you have yet
1: to visit? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Um, so the favorite place I've visited in the, I think it's up to like 70 countries I've traveled <gasps> on, uh, travelled in Gosh, since, you know, over a short period of time too, from age 18 to like 26, wow. um, would have to still be Istanbul, Turkey. <gasps> wow. You just know, I hear
0: that a lot.
1: People, the food, the oh. scenery, the market, the self-care element, like these Turkish baths on every other corner. It just... I, I just, my heart, part of my heart's still there, I think. And I'm happy about that.
0: Wonderful. I love it. What about, what about where you haven't yet been, but you would love to go?
1: Oh, there's a couple. What stands out for me right now where I'd love to go and I haven't yet been, and people keep talking about it, would probably be Egypt. I'm fascinated by the pyramids in Egypt, the camel, the desert, that experience. I have not done it yet. And I I do believe it's, it's calling me
0: once the the borders open. Yes, absolutely. I love that. I love that. Thank you for sharing. And, and Turkey, I, and it's, it is on my list, but I, I can tell you that everyone that I have spoken to that has visited comes back just totally blown away. So, so I love the way that you went into a little bit of, of maybe why people feel that that self-care factor, you're right, is, is a huge deal because that's obviously part of the culture. When you have these bathhouses in every corner, yeah. So Deb, what is the what is Deb's holy shit factor? You
1: know, <laughs> Give me an example, Peter, of yours. Okay,
0: so so when somebody when somebody talks about Deb and and something that you do or how you're you're so passionate about bringing out the best in people or places that you've been or things that you've done or things that you aspire to do. And how what that's gonna look like, that they'll say they'll they'll be having a conversation with you and they'll say, holy shit. That's that's what I mean.
1: <laughs> oh gosh. I think it is. Oh, I, I, I want to ask my clients this now. I think my holy shit factor, and I've been told this a couple of times, is I've been not, I think I've told you this, Buddha, that I've been called and initially I was offended by it. And now I'm kind of getting more comfortable with it. I've been called um, the Eruptor as the coach. And when I asked them how specifically am I the eruptor, they meant there were parts of them they had no clue were in conflict with themselves or beliefs about themselves that were running their show. And through a series of questions and holding space of um, kindness, compassion, and love for that, for that person in, in my um in my coaching room, we were able to, I say, gently erupt what it was that was creating this, um, in a conflict within them so that that can fall away and their true authentic self, their true beingness um, step forwards and they get to see who they really are. So I feel like I, I am the one that will um, shake things up in a gentle and kind way um, delivered with grace. Mm -hmm. However, I do it for the person's highest health and good. And it's with their permission and they do all the work. I just hold space for them to see how magnificent they are until they see it themselves.
0: Yeah. I, I love it. And, and it makes perfect sense. And I know we have had this conversation, but it does. And I and I think you're so committed to that, to that breakthrough for them and that that illumination for them. That you yes, gentle and loving and embracing their souls and their hearts, but at the same time unapologetic about you know the being the catalyst for that eruption and making sure that you are lovingly fierce in the conversations and in bringing out the best in them because nobody's doing that for a lot of, you know, a lot of people will tell me, you know, nobody talks to me like this. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little more um, maybe, I don't know if abrasive is the right word in their face sort of thing. Uh, But again, sometimes that's what people need. And, and, and as as you mentioned before, it's almost like, you know, everybody just will, will be with you and tell you, yes, and all it does is is exacerbate the problem where what you want is for somebody to say, you know, let's 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 look at this. Let's get in there. Let's get our hands dirty and let's let's play with this and see what comes up and let's move on. So yeah. I love that. Makes total, totally perfect sense, Deb. I'm yeah. so, so grateful to you for making the time. And I know it's a it's a busy time, but can you tell our audience how to find you, what you have coming up, what's the best way to get a hold of you would be
1: yes absolutely so my website is deborahworkman.com that's d-e-b-o-r-a-h.workman.com and i have a training coming up actually in nlp at the end of this month and another one in march nice. so if you're interested in knowing more about that it'll be on my website i have my coaching page my speaking page on there as well and i'm also on facebook um, and i'd love to hear from anyone look if, if i've said something that's resonated or further said something that's resonated and you're like. I think I can relate to what Deb's talking about. I do offer all my clients a complimentary coaching call and I don't watch the clock. I'm here to help people get results in life. So if we're on the phone for an hour. If we're on the phone for two hours, I don't mind as long as a person's got time and space in their diary to, you know, talk to someone and, and experience what coaching is because it is a powerful experience, but it's a do with process. It's not a do to process. Mm-hmm. So anyone wanting change and wanting to make this year a, tra- a year of transformation for themselves, please, please um, do reach out and find me on my website.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I'll share the call letters when I when I post the podcast. But Deb, guys, seriously, I mean, when you talk about uh, generosity and heart and 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 an ability to just see that brilliance and that masterpiece that is in all of us, way way before we see it in ourselves deb just has and that's why i love the name of of your organization because you really are illuminating people and and being a stand for for them shining in their light so i love you for that i love you for everything and 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 again deb i'm so grateful that you came guys see see what i mean now you understand what i was talking about (laughs) But okay,
1: folks,
0: (laughs) thank you again, guys. uh, Go out there and do good and be great and go play outside. Bye, Deb.
1: Bye, Buddha. Thank you so much.